So back in the day, pre-children, Micah and I would go on a whole lot of hikes, and we would even backpack. I was in way better shape back then. And we would pack our, our big backpacks, 30 to 40 pounds, I think his were bigger, Um, weighed more of all our our lightweight backpacking equipment, and we would go up into the mountains. And uh, we would start, we'd try new trails, and we'd hike up, and typically we went to the mountains simply because of the trees. It was so beautiful. And we would go up, up the hills, and down the hills, and around the turns, and most of the time, we were in a forest. And so you could only see so far, like you didn't really know the vastness of the, the cascades, right? Because all we could see was the little bit that was in front of us. But every now and then, we would come to a viewpoint, an opening in the trees, and we were, we were going up mountains, and so we would be on the side of a mountain, and it would open up, and you'd be able to look down into the valley and see far away and look up to the mountain um, beside us and get to almost like a bird's eye view, like, oh, wow, I've been seeing this little piece of it and all of a sudden realizing, being reminded again that there's a much bigger picture. You know, it was a dynamic and changing journey. No one piece of of the path of the hike looked the same. But every piece was a part of it. No one piece of the, that path described the whole journey or described the whole hike, but it was a part of it. And so today we're going to talk, we're going to continue our series in the Gospel of John, but we're going to specifically be talking about our journey of belief and our journey of faith. And I think there's a lot of parallels to walking through a, a, a mountain a mountain path is that this journey is dynamic and this journey is changing. We see new places. We're invited to experience new places in our relationship with God and in our relationship with people to see and to experience. So we've been going through the Gospel of John, and John writes at the end of his Gospel his reason for writing the Gospel, that people may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing they may have life in his name. And so we're going to continue to look at John today, starting in John chapter 4, verse 43. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there, a certain royal official whose son lay sick Uh, And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, come, sir, come down before my child dies. 
Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. We see glimpses in this story of this man's journey of belief, this man's journey of faith, and we see his belief in Jesus grow and change. We're going to dive into this, uh, the, the scripture, but before we do, I want to ask us a few questions, a reflection questions. So think, think back a little bit here. Think about your own life. Let's ask the question, what does it take for us to believe Jesus? What does it take for us to believe Jesus? What does it take for us to trust what God is saying and to live by faith? Where are we hung up on belief? What are the points of struggle for us? The points of confusion of doubt and pain where we're just not sure. My prayer is that this man's journey will help us be able to reflect a little more clearly on our own journeys. So let's go through it bit by bit. In verse 43, after the two days, Jesus left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So here, the narrator is starting to set up the story. This is John, and he's referencing Mark 6, where Jesus goes back to his hometown, and he teaches, and he, he preaches to people, and there's a real lack of faith. And so they respond by, by saying, who is this Jesus? Like, we, we saw him grow up. Who does he think he is? And so the narrator sets the stage for us, that the people are starting from a place of skepticism, which I can relate to at times. <laughs> it's a place of skepticism. And then it continues, and when he arrived in Galilee, however, the Galileans welcomed him because they had, they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. So an interesting turn, right? Right here at the beginning of the story, this journey of belief, it starts with skepticism, but right off the bat, they welcome Jesus because they had been with him in Jerusalem. They had heard him teach. They had seen him perform miracles there. And, and they knew there was something different about Jesus. There was something really special about Jesus. And it's just interesting that the narrator takes such care to set the stage for this interaction, that there's both skepticism and the presence of the miraculous in Jesus meeting in this story. Verse 46, once more he visited Cana in Galilee where he turned the water into wine and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. So Jesus is returning to his home region 
in Cana, which was like 17 miles away from Capernaum. But this official had heard that Jesus was back. We don't know much about him. He was, he's sometimes called a nobleman, but he was probably working for Herod Antipas, the uh, tetrarch of Galilee, who Herod sometimes was called King Herod, and so thus the royal, um, the royal official. We do know two things about this man. He was a man of high social standing, where he worked. Um, he was a royal official, and he was also a desperate parent. He was a desperate parent, and he had come begging Jesus to heal his son, begging for one of the miracles that he had either seen or heard about Jesus doing in Jerusalem. And Jesus' response at first may kind of take us back a little bit, shock us a little bit. What Jesus responds to this man, he says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. And so here Jesus is speaking to the man, but he's actually responding to the crowd. He's, he's, this is you plural, unless you people see signs and wonders. And that's an interesting phrase. So we've been talking about John, who's writing this gospel to um, show us, give us signs that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, here to bring life. Um, But this phrase is a little bit different. It's signs and wonders. And it's a phrase used in the other gospels, referencing people's need to see the miraculous, need to see the supernatural. And um, there's, there's also this, this attitude that Jesus is calling out in people, this attitude of skepticism that responds to the good news by, by saying, well, prove it. Prove it with a miracle. If you want me to believe, then prove it. And Jesus calls out the crowd, saying, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. As the story continues, the royal official doesn't argue with Jesus, doesn't say, no, you're wrong about this. He just repeats his plea. He says, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replies, go, your son will live. And oh, I love Jesus. I, lo- I love the, he's so smart <laughs> and so clever in his responses. And it's amazing. He knows exactly what he's doing. Jesus has compassion on this man who's begging for his son's life. And yet Jesus denies his request. The man is asking Jesus to come to my house and perform this miracle. And Jesus says, no. Now, before we we go on to the story, I just want to take a minute there and acknowledge like that moment in that part, his son is dying and he's desperate. And it's this heart-wrenching situation. He's heard about Jesus who can perform these miracles. And so this man draws out a plan. He's got it all planned out. I'm going to go to Jesus. I'm going to tell, ask Jesus to come. I'm going to convince him to come. And can you imagine the plan in your head? I, I, he's going to, he's going to, I'm going to tell him, come with me. It's a two day journey. I've already booked the VRBO for us to stay at. Like I've got it all figured out. And this is how it's going to go. And the man's coming with belief saying, I believe Jesus, you can do this. I believe that my son can live, and Jesus says no to that plan. 
It's a pivotal moment in this man's journey of belief because what Jesus does do is he promises healing and invites the man to believe without seeing the miracle. He promises the healing, but he doesn't go with a plan, the man's plan. He, he invites this royal official to believe without seeing the miracle, to simply believe because Jesus said it, to believe not because he sees the miracle taking place, but because of who Jesus is, which John is building this case for, the Son of God, the Messiah, who brings life to all who believe. And so the royal officials left with this um, pivotal choice, this fork in the road, uh, metaphorically speaking here, to go home and trust and believe that Jesus will heal his son from afar, or to stay and try to convince Jesus to, to come home with him and heal his son the way he's comfortable with, the way he has envisioned in his mind. This pivotal moment of belief, Jesus responds with a promise and an invitation, not what was expected, and certainly uh, an invitation that required more of the royal official. It required more trust from the royal official, more than he was prepared for in that moment. It required him to, to obey before seeing the resolution. We continue um, in this verse, and, and it, John writes, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. The man chose to trust, chose to believe, chose to follow the instructions without seeing the miracle. And this is what faith is. This is what faith is, to believe what Jesus says and then act upon it. And we see this man acting upon it. Hebrews 11 verse 1 describes faith this way. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence and assurance even when we don't see. Even when it's not right there in front of us. To believe Jesus to the point of action and application, to apply it to our lives, not just to think it, not just to uh, intellectually agree with something, to actually live it out, allow it to uh, formulate our decisions and live it. I can, can see this man's faith changing in the story, saying, I will believe in Jesus. I will orient my life around the message of God, even in those areas that are most precious and most important, such as our children's well-being. Verse 51, while he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that the, his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time in which Jesus had said, your, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. And this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Can you imagine with me the flood of emotion for that dad? Once his, once his servants came to him and told him, your son lives and he's getting better. 
the joy and the relief that your dying child is now on the mend. And then there's this, the, the next moment, this moment of realization. This moment, um, similar to like when you're on that hike and everything's like all these trees are crowded in and you can just see what's right in front of you. And then all of a sudden you step out and you can see the whole mountainside. This moment of clarity, an aha moment, so to speak, when he sees the big picture. And so he asks, what's the exact time of the healing? And he realizes it's the same time when Jesus said, your son will live. Not a coincidence, right? Not just a fever running its course, but a divine intervention for healing with great implications. That Jesus is no mere prophet, that the divine is at work in Jesus, that Jesus is the divine. It's not just about um, Jesus' ability to perform miracles, but it's way more than that. It's way more than just being amazed at the signs and wonders. It's that these miracles, this sign and wonder points to the bigger picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing And so he and his whole household believed. This is a different, a new level of belief, this journey of belief. You can see how his belief is changing and and it's dynamic. The whole household believed, which is kind of an interesting phrase for us uh, from coming from a very individualistic culture. We value our own freedom and right to choose what I believe. That's really important. Um, it, it, to us in our culture, but that was different in this culture. And to be honest, this is a really good concept for us to understand because there's many cultures around the world who don't operate that way. Instead of being an individualistic culture, this was a collectivist culture, meaning there were community was really, really important. So this household unit was really important. The household units were foundational to how one engaged in society. There were these large extended families that, that moved together and worked together and, and were a whole in a different way than, than we can understand in our culture. And so when it says he and his whole household believed, this is a whole different level of commitment. That this journey of belief in Jesus reaches down into the deep core principles and beliefs that determine how this family will live and how they will, how they will operate. A belief that will become the, a defining characteristic of this household community. I love this story. I love seeing what God is doing. Two things really stand out to me when I, when I step back and look at the big picture here is that belief in Jesus is, dyna- is a dynamic and changing journey. And sometimes we oversimplify this. Uh, we'll, we'll take a moment and we're like, yeah, I didn't believe in Jesus before that moment, but now I believe in Jesus. And let me say, um, those are some valid, beautiful moments when that happens. Like there's pivotal moments in our journeys that we can look back on and say, wow, that was a pivotal moment. But it's just that. It's an, an important moment in our journey of belief. And belief and faith is a journey. Jesus 
Uh, the other thing that stands out to me is that Jesus invites the royal official to believe and to trust without seeing the miracle accomplished the way the royal official had envisioned. The, the, in, in the exact place, in time, and how he was thinking. You know, this journey of belief is one that we choose to go on, but we're not the guides. We're not the leaders of this journey. God is the one leading the journey, and we're invited to trust and to follow. And so Jesus heals this man's son in his own way and in his own timing. I can't help but think of some similarities uh, between some of what's going on in this story and in my life, and, and I wonder if you'll, you'll see the similarities in your life too. So often we want God to do uh, the things we want. We want God to do things the way we want them. And so we have a plan for God, and we, ha- we set the, a timeline for God. This is how we want them done, and this is when we want them done. And sometimes we even try to make deals with God. Have you ever made a deal with God? I mean, the classic example that, that's kind of humorous is, Lord, if you'll just let me find a parking spot, then I will, you know? And we can kind of chuckle at that one because that's really silly. Um, but it doesn't feel so silly with big kid things. When our children are sick, when someone we love is dying, when we're desperate for a job and for income, when we see violence and injustice, injustice run rampant, when mental health feels like it's swallowing us whole. In those times, how do we practice belief and faith? This last week, um, Micah and I and, and Jamie and Tony, we, we got to go to Seattle and we attended a conference called the Inhabit Conference put on by the Parish Collective. And it's a conference we've been going to for multiple years because we just love this conference. Um, their focus is knowing your place and knowing your community and living as a neighbor in your place and in your community. And so there's an emphasis on inclusion and love. There's an emphasis on seeing people and living life with those who are marginalized in your community. There's an emphasis on loving our neighbors through social justice and seeking the prosperity of all those who live in our community. And one of the things I appreciated most um, about the last couple days um, at this conference were the times of lament together, uh, where through song and poetry, we got to, as a group, cry out to God and to just acknowledge the really hard things happening in our communities and in our world today, to acknowledge the, the suffering and the pain and the injustice that is happening. And then in the same moment, also be invited to lean into hope, the hope of healing and wholeness found in Jesus. God's promise that God is making all things new and that as Jesus followers, we are invited to participate in what the work that God is doing. So coming back to this journey of belief and to these questions that, that we're asking of ourselves, what does it take for us 
to believe in Jesus? What does it take for me to trust what God is saying and to live by faith day in and day out? And where am I hung up on belief? Where are those points of struggle that I'm really having a hard time trusting God with? When I, when I think of those questions in my own journey, um, I think of two primary things that really lead, that, that really lead me towards belief. And, and the first is the understanding of the character of God. And I've been fortunate enough to get to study scripture my whole life because my parents were Christians and, and I've been studying scripture for a long time. And, and, and it's like, even if you've been reading it over and over, the character of God, you learn new things. Seeing that the creator is a God who wants to walk with creation. Like that's part of who God is. That he's a relational God. That Jesus enters into the pain and the suffering of the world and takes on death on the cross in order to bring about life. Like that's part of who God is. That's the kind of God God is. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of divine love that envelops us, that we might always be in the presence of God and be led by God. What does it take for me to believe? First, it's this continually coming back to the character of God, realizing how amazing God is. And the second is the experience of God, to actually not just hear the invitation, but to be in relationship with the creator, to experience that, to sense his presence, to feel God's love, to see the result of the Holy Spirit working in my life in way, in transforming me and in, in, in the people around me in ways that I really didn't think was possible. Like to see the work of the Holy Spirit. I've also come to realize, as I think about this story and the idea of signs and wonders and Jesus' word of caution to the crowd, that God performs signs and wonders, miracles and divinely orchestrated events all the time, all the time in my life and in your life and the life of our community. It's just that often we don't recognize them. And... Also, and this is kind of hard to swallow, but we don't get to dictate how and when God performs them. <laughs> like, God gets to decide. And so we're invited to ask. God wants to hear our request, and so we cry out to God for his divine intervention. But then we also are invited to surrender the outcome to God, the way and the timing to God. And we're invited to listen and to follow God's direction, just like the royal official. We're invited, friends, onto this journey of belief. Uh, it's a challenging and it's a rewarding journey. You know, if we continue the, the metaphor of the hiking and hiking through the mountains, I would say this, this journey has some really steep inclines and some sharp declines, maybe some large boulders and cliff faces to climb and rivers to cross. Like, it's that kind of journey. And also, some beautiful mountaintops and some meadows of wildflowers 
where there's joy and peace and springs full of life. We make this journey in community. We're invited to to journey with God and also journey with each other. It's not a journey that can be easily taken alone. We're not meant to do this alone. So I wonder today as you came in, where are you at in your journey? In that metaphorical hike, <laughs> like are you um, in a really joyful and peaceful stretch of that journey? Are you in a place of struggle and heartache? Maybe. Are you on the road full of confusion and disorientation? Like, what is going on here? Are you in all those places at once in different areas in your life or maybe somewhere in the middle? I want to remind us today that this is a journey worth taking. (laughs) So wherever you're at, it's worth taking because Jesus sees us, both individually sees us, but also as a whole community sees us, and Jesus is faithful to walk with us and faithful to heal and faithful to restore. So we are invited to believe and to trust, to believe and to trust that God is the loving creator, actively bringing about life and wholeness and healing for God's beloved creation, which we are a part of. So may we come to know Jesus as a son of God, as a Messiah, the bringer of life. May we take Jesus at his word, for he is faithful and he is loving. And may we follow our guide on this journey, the Holy Spirit, showing us and reminding us what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is doing. And may we continually experience the journey of belief, this day in and day out, walking with God. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you for this invitation to journey, to journey with you and to journey with each other, knowing that you are a God who is about love and hope and healing, that you are a God who is very active in our lives and in this world, that you are a God who, who aches with the brokenhearted, that you are a God who grieves with us, that you are a God who hears our prayers, that you are a God who dances with us in celebration and joy. You are a God who is very present, who cares. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us on this journey of belief, that it would permeate all of us (laughs) in our whole life, Lord, that we might see you clearly and live for you. And, Lord, teach us to accept your invitation to participate in your work, your work of love and healing and restoration in our neighborhoods, and in our community. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.